Welcome, everybody, to the 59th edition of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Rich Greenfield and Walt Pysik. And I guess uh, with that intro music, it's one of those, if you know, you know, right? Pucks on net, eh? <laughs> what? Pucks on net. Oh, yeah. Pucks, pucks on, on net. net. Pucks on net. Yeah. That's what Isles my hockey put, friends tell me I, all the time. Yeah. Isles put pucks on net um, this last week and um, advanced to the semifinals for the second year in a row. And you were there. Which is I the real there, highlight. Yeah, I know well, no, I wasn't there for game six when they advanced, but I did go to the Coliseum um last Saturday night, which was um holy cow, game four of the series where they also won. And it was a pretty ruckus atmosphere there. I, it was as loud of a building as I can remember. What was the last time you were at Nassau Coliseum? Oh, God. Uh, what like fish? as a what, kid? Or oh, no. as, a, as a kid? I was going to say, like, what fish show? Um, for hockey? I don't know. Yeah, I like how everything like, revolves around fish in your couple, entire life. A couple of years ago. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, but don't forget, they were playing a lot at the, in Barclays, um, which was a terrible place to see hockey. And so... I went to a bunch, but it was close, right? So I went to a bunch of games there, but um, it, it was a crazy atmosphere, no doubt. Um, you know, driven by the fact that, you know, COVID, uh, uh, what everyone needs that kind of cathartic release. And I think it's what we've seen across sports stadiums. And you had to carry your little card, Brandon? Like you it, had a little carry your little thing? Um, yeah, yeah, I needed um, the vax card to get in. So, they didn't what do you really... do if you lose your vax card? Like, what do you I don't know. If but, you lose but, that? Uh, let me tell you something they don't exactly check the vax cards going in. It's like you have to just like hold up your vax card and walk past, you know? Could it be a piece of paper with scribbling on it? Honestly, like, honestly, it probably could be. They're, they're really not checking. Um, but I don't think it. It, it matters. My, I don't think there's very many people who are like faking vax cards anyway. And now I think New York state has what 70% um, at least first shot. So we're pretty much what close to herd immunity anyway. Um, Your state also has an electronic filing system and it's good segue into maybe our first slide, which is Apple has talked about you know, adding a bunch of stuff to your wallet where you won't even have to include a, well, not this one, Rich, we'll get to that later, but okay. the, one of the, by things the way, I'm about, shocked you didn't ask about my picture. What's the, what's that, the picture? What did, that you're standing in the background. Or is that Jason Schwartzman? Who is that in that picture? No, you, so, <laughs> um, this picture, a client messaged me on Bloomberg and is like, I was just like looking at some aisle stuff on Twitter and I think you're in this picture. And then sure enough, it was me. I, this, the guy next to me took this picture with this random um, little kid who was in front of him after they scored a goal. It was it was pretty fun. Anyway, I, I think you had to be there for that story to resonate. But but getting back to what Walt was talking about, um, it, Benedict Evans, who we talked to earlier in the week, um, he had actually tweeted out like how many companies have the 
the ability to say, give us your, you know, license or give us your health information. We'll keep it private. And I think it just sort of shows you how much people trust Apple, Apple that you'd be yeah. willing to do that. Right. Like most, you know, I don't think you'd ever give that information to Facebook, right? Like Benedict, you know, in terms of Benedict made, you know, some good points. He was like, if you think forward to what Apple's roadmap is from here, especially wearables um, and glasses, uh, privacy is key to that more than it is for advertising or anything else. So establishing themselves as a privacy focus. It's a level set. So people know what the hell we're talking about. I think one of the things at WWDC that they oh. mentioned is that those of you that have iPhones, you have an Apple wallet, which you might've put a credit card in, or you, maybe you put your flight um, tickets in there, but they're talking about also now being able to put your driver's license and, and also not just saying, Hey, we're going to do this like for fun. And then you have it in there and it's not usable, but saying that the TSA might accept this, which, you know, which is a phenomenal thing. It's, it makes sense, right? It's kind of crazy that we have to carry separate documents. It would clearly also potentially have an application for what like, COVID passports and, and things like that. But, um, Certainly another great thing about the ecosystem. Um, health health ID cards. I mean, like there's so many things we carry that seems, so, I mean, and they also talked about not just your license, well, but like unlocking your car, like, right? Like all these types of things that would well, sort they of be already built have in. That. No, but so I, I think it was- wondering, so I, so I got the new iPhone that has the mag, whatever, basically the magnet on it. And I also got the wallet. I know it's kind of dorky to put your wallet on your phone and most people have it attached to the case, but the magnet- Yeah, you're cool. a loser. But my complaint about it was the fact that it only would hold three cards and between your insurance card and everything. So maybe Apple was just forward thinking. There's just not many cards we're going to need. If I can put my insurance card in my Apple wallet and my driver's license. Like when they removed ports, forward thinking. Forward thinking. Or as, or as Rich says, like, you know, sometimes people don't know what they want until they got it. And were they thinking differently? <laughs> Perhaps they were. But the other part of the announcement, now you can bring that slide up, Rich, which also kind of speaks to, again, I, I didn't really, the concept of the driver's license is also the same concept of privacy, Apple focusing on privacy. And the, and the tweet that Rich has up here is from Apple Insider, paid iCloud subscriptions will soon have access to enhanced iCloud Plus feature, including private relay, VPN, a new hide my email, and support for unlimited secure HomeKit video cameras. So the, the interesting part of that is the first two, private relay, it's kind of like a VPN. It's not exactly a VPN, but most people, I don't want to say most people, a lot of people like they get that privacy sucks, but who wants to go to the hassle of setting up a VPN? So now Apple's basically doing it for you through um, Safari. And Rich will get into the advertising implications of this, but just one quick note on this. There's, this is going to put pressure on Google to do it. Right. I mean, so I, I like at some point, and I think there's already press about this, and someone from Google allegedly said, like, yes, this is being considered for Chrome. But if Apple keeps pushing the ball forward in terms of privacy, um, Google's going to have to respond because you don't want people switching over and using Safari and then having the control of how search might work through Safari. Well, it's interesting you bring that up, Walt, because uh, just in the last couple of weeks, it's become pretty clear that Google's going to follow Apple on the app, the app tracking stuff. It does sound like Google's going to follow that process. And so, you know, in the Android ecosystem, I think you're going to see that play out. But I, I want to basically go beyond advertising because I think we, we, we've talked a lot about how privacy impacts at the advertising business. But 
what's interesting here is this also impacts the subscription business, right? Because if you're using email to sign up for things and now you're hot, you know, sort of, you know, signing up from sort of a hidden email, all of a sudden, you know, you know, people who run newsletter businesses don't know who you are. I mean, that's, you know, uh, there's implications to this well beyond just the advertising business that are, that are important here. Apple really wants to, you know, to Brandon's point, they want to, they, they want their brand to be synonymous with privacy. And I think, What's to interesting, point. <laughs> well, yes, but what you were talking about, credit, credit Benedict, too, yeah. where is this, where is this going? Like we're, we're starting with establishing privacy, but is there a greater goal for privacy beyond what we're even thinking about today? And getting back to also what Brandon said in terms of like, you don't know what you want till you want to think different. Like they just keep pressing this so hard and making it easy for you. So like three years ago, we might've all said like, you know what? I give up. I don't give a shit. I'll just go on Chrome and like, they're going to feed me these ads. And I think Brandon on this podcast has talked about in the past, he actually prefers it. But when you make it so easy and there's so much like concern out there, some of it conspiracy theory, but like there's concern about there um, about privacy. Like this is just smart and it's now like when you see your competitors react, just the, the thought of Google reacting to this means that it's resonating. And no one can then say like, no one gives a shit about privacy because when you see a competitor react, that's your validation. Well, it's funny, I, you know, the churning group TCG hosted a dinner the other night and we were sort of debating this topic of like, who's opting in to be tracked. And it was just funny how like, you know, no, I, look, it, I it have been, I don't know. I like, I opt out and see how bad the ads are interesting certain apps i haven't been opting out certain ones where i think that ads like relevant ads make for a better experience for myself i have been opting in but i'm not like that privacy you know centric (laughs) right but at the dinner i mean it was a media you know sort of media and tech executives and entrepreneurs but it was funny how like everyone's like well why who would opt in and I think part of it is like it's because the opt-in doesn't say, hey, do you want worse ads? It just says, do you want to be tracked? And I think, you know, my guess is 90 plus percent of people, if not more, are going to opt out because it's just the way it sounds. Who on that option is going to choose to be tracked? There are also there are a few of them where there's like a first pop up that comes up where they explain to you kind of Twitter did that. Oh, it was Twitter. Okay, I think Twitter was one of them that I noticed you off. No, no, you didn't. I was just going to also add that, like, we're probably like one Washington Post or New York Times privacy story away from getting people to, again, you know, that might be like Brandon saying that, oh, I don't mind the ads and they're going to hear some horrible story <laughs> about a privacy breach and and then change that behavior. We'll see how it goes. And like, look, the advertisers themselves are going to have to figure out a different and, you know, newsletters or whatever it is. It's just it's change. It's going to change. It's just making life harder. None of this stuff, like people are still going to advertise. People are still going to do newsletters. It's just getting a little harder with workarounds. And I think that's the, you know, that's the part of it that I think is sort of unfortunate. Like it's not going to make, no one's going to go away from advertising because of this. It's just going to make it harder, especially to be a little guy. Let's go to, um, we talked about hockey, but we also have the NBA where John Oran tweeted out NBA playoffs, first round scorecard, overall viewership flat with 2019. Sort of seems like a victory, I guess, but the reality is still 19 was down 17% from 18, you know, given sort of the excitement for sports back and normal timing and everything like that, it seems sort of depressing that the numbers aren't better. And there's actually been good games. Um, 
think it's I think it's fine. I think that's a victory. Like if you told us last year when ratings were absolutely fucking collapsing that they would come back to even with 19, I think most most would have signed for that, especially given, you know, how much cord cutting has happened since then, et cetera. I, I think it's fine. Um, but I don't know. As you know, you know, I've I've been into the NBA. I've been watching a lot of sports in general. There's a lot of stuff bouncing the back. Distraction. There's a lot of stuff bouncing back from 2019. So I think we're going to view this number differently when you see how those ratings look in the fall when the real and best sport. Right, right, right. So starts. right now, right now, you're having sort of like you should have a rebound reaction. Right, but we don't know what the what the true. Right. What is it next year? No, no, I'm saying I'm talking about the NFL. Like oh, the, NFL, the NFL. Like it's the yeah. NFL was only down high single digits though. Like it wasn't really a shocking right, bad NFL, season. Whoa, 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 whoa. The NFL, were there any games where there were fans filling the stadium? The NFL's no. ratings were like still in a COVID on? world. No. My point is yeah. We'll these we'll, we're going to compare these NBA yes. playoff rating you, changes because I think we're kind of post COVID now. Given the fans, you, you're saying bad. NFL goes up ten percent. We're going to look at NBA being flat 15, as bad. 20? Yeah, Whatever, that, yeah, that's my point. It's oh, like it's, okay. Oh, over 20, 2019. Over twenty nineteen, not over twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah. If we see a nice bounce for the NFL positively, flat is not going to cut it on a relative basis and you'll see the kind of the weakness of the sport more, more apparent. And maybe I'm wrong. I think that's maybe, a good point. Maybe, no. also, maybe also NFL will be flattish, but I'm guessing because, because part of this is just the sport itself and the interest in the sport itself. And there's other dynamics that are going on there, but um, you might argue that the fans coming back to the stadium and there being good games and having good personalities. Like Trey young is a guy that I personally like to hate to watch because yeah. he's such a good player. Right. But that's, no, a, yeah. you, you want to have villains, right? So, um, you know, so we'll but but ratings being flat. You're, you're I think, also like a Sixers fan, as sure. am I. So. But I think that that exists in a lot of these types of a lot of the matchups so far. I mean, the Knicks, I think, were a good story to watch for a lot of people as well. So for for, for five games out west, <laughs> I think the rema- all the remaining teams out west have never won a title either. That's yeah. like a kind of I noticed that the other night, just from a creating excitement standpoint. Yeah, it's, could, it's a pretty good. I mean, the Brooklyn, line, the right? Brooklyn is Brooklyn is a great team to hate. Another um, team that's never won, right? But people are going to hate. Or we're going to want to watch them because they want to want to see them lose. Yeah, that awful gray court that they play on. Um, <laughs> but so maybe flats a win. But again, I, like I said, we'll see how we saw what the NFL looks like. I, you would you would think that the NFL should outperform. The performance in growth um, than the NBA, but we'll we'll know in what a hundred days? No, two hundred days, something like that. Can't yeah, wait, something like that. Clap, 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 clap. So this is, I think, is the most batshit crazy story of the week. Uh, and again, it's Josh Cosman, New York Post. Obviously, you know, I think any New York Post story you sort of have to take with oh, a, a grain of. Josh is an extremely creative person. <laughs> that said, he's got data. He, he, <laughs> Well said, Brandon. But but he's got he's got a data point in here. No, no, let's just he's been very creative let's, let's with my quotes on that for in the one past. second. That, that that is an, that's an important thing to note for our podcast listeners. When Josh Kosman is in the byline, I yeah, mean, yeah. Well, anyway, he's a creative on, guy. He's a very creative writer. But but he does have the fact that supposedly Lion Tree has been retained. Mm-hmm. They are trying to raise two hundred and fifty million now. I'm not really sure why two hundred and fifty million. It would seem like this endeavor would take a lot more than 250 million but let's leave that aside 
what Sinclair is trying to do is take the diamond sports. That's the old Fox RSNs and basically take them over the top. Uh, and the, the price point supposedly being taught the consumer retail price point, $23 a month to subscribe to your local RSN, you know, Which, by the way, is if that's true from a consumer perspective, that isn't bad. I just like, we know the numbers on RSN viewership and if, you know, traditional MVPD distribution ever went away at $23, you have a big problem in, in terms right, because, of profitability. Well, because you're basically saying that right now the average RSN is, you know, I, I know, yes, network and there's others, but let's just say in general, the RSN is $4 a month. No, I was going to say five. Yeah. Okay. Five. Keep it around. So, five. But you would also say that, you know, there's less than 10% of it's subscribers are yep. are watching the RSN. So you would think the price would have to be 10x. So That's if it's right. five, you would think 50, not 23. And so it's what it maybe leads this- me to believe is that, you know, they still envision a world where there's also MVPD distri- distribution. Yep. Too. And I don't know if the MVPDs are going to push back and ask for better terms, you know, and kind of how that works out. I'm sure they have some kind of financial tiering, tiering, right? Because now it doesn't you don't need to have it in the bundle anymore. Now you can really kick it out of the bundle. There's no reason the push to be in basic cable no longer matters if you can get it over the top with a click of a button. Look, my two the two things I'm thinking about, Brandon, because I do agree. I think cable operators will still sell it as an add on. And so they'll definitely benefit from that. But man, this is like that the last piece of the bundle that no, you know. I know. This it's is nice, it, right? Maybe it's just nice for them to have a press release that mentions streaming, kind of like when Fubo bought like that gambling common thing. ball. But it's not a press release. <laughs> well, maybe it's a press release that's coming. Yeah, right, right. I mean, there's also the idea that there are revenue streams that uh, incremental revenue streams that could be appended. Uh, to over-the-top subscriptions, whether we talked about Thursday and Amazon's a different beast, but we talked about Thursday Night Football with Amazon and merchandise opportunities. Everyone's talked, spoken about sports betting. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what additional you know, revenue streams they see appending to that. But well, but I want to tie this in watching. for a second. But I want to tie this into the next slide, which is Richard Deitch um, over at the Athletic has a story out espn has been asking on-air staffers to take pay cuts on contracts so here's the question will the company find money to air more college football playoff games uh, you know obviously espn's under a lot of pressure there's you know you've seen a lot of talent leave and th- there's obviously a lot of stress as sort of the cord cutting that brandon was just mentioning accelerates and advertising's not been great so i, I get it but but the big thing that everyone's talking about you know everywhere i go in the industry and, and investors everyone's talking about ESPN's on the verge over the next 12 to 24 months of taking ESPN over the top, basically taking ESPN and making it ESPN plus. So Monday Night Football, the NBA, all of that content is over the top. But then you're also talking about ESPN charging, not I think $6.99 for ESPN plus, Brandon. I think it's $6.99. Yep. yep. Right. Well, unless it's part of the, you know, Disney bundle. Sure, but let's just assume six ninety nine's got to go to at least twenty five dollars a month. I presume it's got to be more. I mean, I assume twenty five to thirty dollars a month, given the lower distribution that that would have relative to the bundle, which has seventy five million subscribers to the current ESPN. 
And so you just go, okay, you're going to pay $24 advertising. And I know there's addressable advertising possibilities, which could, you know, jack CPMs, but you're, you know, losing a lot of audience and ESPN has a pretty robust ad business. So what does that mean? Well, okay. So, but let's just do the math. I'd pay 25, no doubt. And the, the new ESPN map map is fucking phenomenal on how you can like basically create a pip in of all the different content that they have. So count me in for the 24 bucks a month. Okay. So let's just go, but I want to go with this for a second. So 25, 20, let's just say $25 for ESPN, $25 for the local RSNs. That's 50. All of a sudden sort of local RSNs. Well, you may not care about the local games. That's true. But you know, a lot of that's because you're a Philly sports guy living in New York. I don't care about the local. Doesn't count. Fuck am I going to watch locally? if you lived in Philly, you'd care. All right. Yeah, what exactly. Silly. So, so the point is, is are you really saving? I mean, two, you're getting your local RSNs and ESPN for 50 bucks. All of a sudden, well, I'm not saving anything rich, but, but the people that have been funding me, like my mom, who doesn't watch any sports that has been getting crushed on her Comcast bill to pay for the sports of all of her, um, all of her neighbors. They're the ones that are going to save money. Yep. It's about time I pay my fair share. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Probably um, in just terms paying of, your mom's bill anyway, so it offsets. Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best comment to this podcast in a while. I love that. Okay, let's move I on. Shift, no, I, I want Walt to shift her to YouTube TV, yeah. though. I don't think that's going to go too well at 80. <laughs> it's actually really easy to use if you get her a Chromecast, and she can just talk to it. She doesn't have to use the remote anymore. Like, oh, it's God. really. I, I'd, I wish I could have a video of that, just my mom talking to the television. Trying to get it to work. And then the next call is going to be to me, and she'll be talking to me, but the voice thing will be still on the television. So the television will be changing channels. I don't know how to turn this off. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm seeing it. So last week we had uh we, we were we were talking about sort of the growth of TikTok in terms of time spent and how it basically had caught up to Facebook over the course of the last few years, another than YouTube was really the only thing that was, um, you know, um, trailing YouTube um, in, in time spent. Now we've got Lucas Shaw saying, Scoop, if you see an ad when you open TikTok, someone likely paid more than a million for it. And by the end of the year, this could cost more than two million. It reminds me of the days of old where buying the, you know, it used to be the Yahoo homepage was a million dollars a day or the AOL homepage was a million dollars a day. And it just, it shows you sort of like what the new hot thing is. And so, you know, I know Walt said he's never seen it, but when I open up TikTok, I often see a full screen takeover ad, whether it's for a new movie or a new TV show. I see Netflix. I've seen, um, I've actually, I've seen Apple ads. I see a lot of ads when I open up TikTok. Maybe it's because they want to show me what they're doing, but I see a lot of ads. Those are now, you know, meaningful expenses for brands. And I think it just shows you well, brands follow eyeballs. Well, it's just yeah, that simple. I mean, it's, it's a fairly obvious situation, right? TikTok has as much engagement as any other digital destination in the United States even. And as we had that slide up last week or the week before two weeks before and uh obviously they're going to get paid on it so <laughs> right i've never seen an ad myself but i will say that i think that the algo is broken because i keep getting served this the tiktok of these basically moms like looking at this like hot younger dude which is kind of creepy and then like watching it like doing those like what do they call them with the, the dual screens at once the, the duet the, the, the duet, duet. 
watching some like 20 year old kid like sing songs or something like that and like i know this is like popular on tiktok i flip through those things as fast as i can and they keep serving them to me like what the The algo is broken the ai knows you better than you know yourself remember i'm trying to tell the (laughs) ai do you remember when facebook was telling people (laughs) that like they knew people were pregnant women were pregnant before they were actually pregnant because they were searching like for back, things or yeah, whatever. Back yeah. around the Facebook, um, I just IPO, I just don't understand they, why people find that was before it, ML got really good. <laughs> Five hundred moms like looking, like drooling over a twenty-one-year-old and showing it to their daughters as they're like watching this kid sing. Please TikTok stop, fix my algo. I'd rather take an ad. Maybe that's the thing. They're they're prepping me for an ad, so they they say, okay, I can stop getting those videos fed to me. <laughs> I'll get an ad instead. Or I, I you'll will engage be. with the ad because it's so much better than the content you're watching. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the algo. Uh, I will do a little bit of shameless promotion that we wrote a piece this week all about addiction, and I think it sort of speaks to people are spending so Rich much loves time on this piece. He brought this well, piece up. We've had how many meetings have we done this week, Rick? Eighteen meetings. Eighteen, 18 meetings. meetings so far. So far, two uh, more so to go. Far, two more to go. Times. <laughs> so 20, 20 meetings, kind of like our one of our media boot camps weeks and um rich has brought this up in a non sequitur fashion at in at least 17 of those 18 meetings sorry rich go ahead it's, it's, it's true yeah. uh, we we, we want to keep coming back to this idea of <laughs> uh, uh, of time spent and that's what tiktok and the tech companies do well and it's just not what media companies do well they just don't focus on time spent. And that's why it's a million and a half or whatever. It's going to be $2 million a day for the, for the homepage. No one's getting $2 million a day to be the ad on the new HBO max ad service to be the home screen banner. Like it's just not, there isn't enough traffic. And I think that's, what's just interesting is just the difference there. In the, on these digital platforms, there's breadth of content and there's data, data and analytics supporting it. There you go. Take us into Roblox world, Brandon into their world um this tweet says roblox sued by music publisher for letting game creators use unlicensed songs and so this is just a link to the wall street journal article um that says the lawsuit seeks at least 200 million dollars in damages and alleges the company hasn't licensed music featured in games on the popular dot 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 um so yeah, I mean, this is we've we've gone through this issue with all of the social or digital content platforms in the past. Over and Everyone over, over and, and over again. Creators like to use music um, in their creations. I'm purposely leaving that, you know, very vague. And the labels want you to take it down or pay them. And I my belief is eventually Roblox will have deals with all the labels and the publishers. Music is cognizantly a very integral part of the strategy at Roblox. You've saw, you've seen Warner music take a pretty sizable investment in the company. um, And you're going to see music integrated consciously in a lot of different ways in the coming years. As opposed, I think to that well, I think that Warner point, but I think that Warner point is really important, right? Like it just sort of shows you that these companies 
understand that music has to be paid for. Like, it's not like they're saying, you know, screw the music companies. I mean, they clearly are embracing music. And that just gives me confidence that stuff like this is just, it, yes, battles are common in this industry, but it's going to get worked out over the next 12 YouTube, months. I, as opposed to like, look, Twitch, I mean, this has been going on for Lord knows how long, right? And Twitch yep. hasn't been able to kind of strike a deal, which is interesting considering Amazon Music is under the same umbrella. But, but maybe they don't want to. I mean, I guess that's probably the, I guess. the other side of it. Well, something I just, this is just this whole tweet from Alex Heath that he had sort of oh, this breaking shocking. news earlier in the week. I'm told that Carolyn Everson, the Facebook executive who oversees its global sales team and relationships with advertisers, has quit the company. Note to employee this morning from her boss, David Fisher, who is also leaving later this year, apologizes for the news being, quote unquote, sudden. Um, the word you know, quit also. This is like, yeah, what I mean, happened? And, I, you know, so far I've seen nothing. I mean, I've known Carolyn a long time. I know her back when she was at MTV. Um, it was obviously, you know. She went from MTV to Microsoft and just basically just as she was just getting started at Microsoft, Cheryl, you know, picked her off to come basically build the sales team in the very early days of Facebook. And she's really been instrumental in the entire sort of revenue strategy, especially the big brands. I mean, you know, Facebook, while it's very much driven by direct response advertisers, the big visible brands that that are on Facebook. And local, the fact that there's 10 million (laughs) advertisers, but yeah. Right, but that takes on the program. But in terms of the brand part of what Facebook is, it's really synonymous on a global basis with Carolyn. And, you know, the funny thing is like the immediate minute she quit, I was getting texts from clients like, is she going to Twitter? Is she going to Snapchat? Like, where is she going? Because like everyone wants to know where somebody who has played such a huge role in the building of advertising. I'm sure where she had they go a next? compete on, on those. But again, no idea. There's no been no word yet. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens and whether this is, you know, between David Fisher leaving and Carolyn leaving, is there, a, you know, obviously the Facebook story seems sort of impenetrable. I mean, you've seen IDFA, you've seen, you, you've seen so much stuff happen, boycotts over the past 12 months and Facebook just keeps growing and growing and growing actually at a faster rate than it was it been growing over the last couple of years. And so, you know, the reality is, I'm not sure there's any near-term implication to this story in terms of you know challenges or problems, but it's just interesting to see you know a couple of very high-profile executives leave on the on the business side. This isn't the first time that's happened. You know? No, hey, look, the it's only thing that I was back. look, the only thing I was thinking about is that you know there was an elevation. So Marnie Levine was promoted to chief business officer at Facebook, and it wasn't Carolyn. It's I, I do wonder whether right. it was sort of who won out in terms of that elevation or promotion. Right. And is this just like it was two different you know people vying for the job? Marnie got it, and Carolyn then, didn't. Fuck you, I'm out of here. <laughs> I, again, I don't know anything. It's just no, you know. Okay. We've obviously seen that at other companies that, you know, I think it happens Disney. at AT&T, right? When Stanky, we saw it with Disney. Like we've seen this this playbook before where two people are fighting for a job, one loses and then they leave rather than work for the other person. Maybe I'm oversimplifying, but yeah. um, let's move into the world of um, connected TVs, Brandon and gaming. Okay. Um, we have two uh, tweets up here. Uh, The first one says Microsoft is expanding Xbox Game Pass to include streaming devices and smart TVs along with phones, computers, and consoles. The second one says Google Stadia is finally expanding to Chromecast, 
with Google TV, Android TV devices on June 23rd. Um, so look, the the idea of or the power, one of the powers of, of cloud gaming um, is the ability to reach as many people as possible in a low cost way without having the hassle of having to buy a console or buy a TV um, or the or TV or a, a, <laughs> or a PC. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, it's been a long week. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long few weeks for sure. Anyway, um, this just furthers their ambitions, both um, at Microsoft and at Google. We haven't seen you know, Google push Stadia onto um, um, onto any other devices. I'm sure that will come at some point. Then the other interesting thing is the streaming stick from from Microsoft, which is now presumably it's not just going to be um, streaming games. You're going to probably have all of the video applications that you have on all these other streaming devices. And so suddenly Microsoft is a competitor in that game as well. You know, but like Stadia though, let's, let's just stick on Stadia for a second yeah. or talk about Stadia for a second. Does Stadia like still exist? Like, like is anyone? There, no, there I mean, it's not, like, no, there has not been a lot of traction for, for Stadia. Like and, who uses Stadia? You know, like, is there, is I, there like a reason somebody uses Stadia? Like at all, like a game or like anything that is like, like I haven't heard anything about Stadia. I, since I, no, I know a few people who use it, but yeah, the console experience is still a much better experience at this, at this point in time. And there are obvious, Walt could talk to it better than I can, network bottlenecks, right, that at this point make for a much better experience with dedicated hardware where you download part of the, at least part of the game, even if the rest is played yeah, in the cloud. I mean, so CDs, were, CDs or DVDs were better than streaming up to a point, and the technology yep. got to a point where it could happen. Same thing with the NFL. You know, they didn't want to stream, and then they did. So even in the mobile environment, I mean, one of the things that 5G and 6G, yes, there is a 6G gaming contemplated now, is to move m much of the processing and smarts of the phone back into the cell sites to make the devices dumb and, and as cheap as, as possible. So I think we'll get there um, over time. Um, you know, it's obviously been talked about a while, but like, you know, th there used to be this old joke, <laughs> like where they would relate things, predictions that would people that people would say, and they would say the electric car next year is always going to be the big year of the electric car. And people are like, ha, 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 that's funny, funny, funny. And then, by the way, now it is a huge thing, and Ford is making electric trucks. So we can all joke about the fact that consoles have held on, and but it's inevitable. As inevitable as Netflix's success was relative to sending people DVDs, the, the, the um, elimination of the console is inevitable, in my view. I mean, who knows what the timeline is on that, but that's going to happen. And, and that... Well, but but what makes this so interesting for Google, right, is that they've got this Chromecast and Google TV infrastructure that it, it does a lot more than just stream 
TV, right? Or, you know, movies or whatever it may be, entertainment. You know, if you think about Google TV, it's integrating, first of all, it's integrating Google Voice Search, which obviously is best in class. It's integrating YouTube, which is obviously this, you know, other than Netflix, the single greatest, second greatest use of streaming TV time spent. It's integrating um, Nest and all of the Nest products that Google has. Now it's integrating Stadia. Like you start to draw like this sort of like larger ring around like- you understand, like, if you want to, you know, go with the evil genius theory, like what they're trying to put together and how the Google TV operating system could be at the center of that. But for whatever reason, they still aren't into promotion mode. And I, we saw a slide, I don't know, earlier, was it this week or last week, um, that that showed uh, market share of Google TV, and it's just like it's well, it was, it was, I was it was it was advertising impressions on oh, Google okay. TV or yeah. on Google TV devices or Android TV devices, and it was like four percent was yes. Google TV of like connected TV ad impressions. It's like it's like wholly irrelevant in the scheme of the U.S. It's obviously very big overseas. It's actually the dominant player overseas, like a Roku is in the U.S. It's just sort of amazing that you know, given all of these things and all of you know if they're willing to put it, push out Stadia and do all this innovation on the product, why is it just irrelevant in the U S it's like, I, maybe it'll change this Christmas or this holiday season. I think we said that, you know, on the podcast a year ago. So Who I, you knows? Know, I don't know. Who knows? And then just getting back to cloud gaming. I mean, obviously the replication of the console or PC experience in the cloud is one use case, but the one that we've been most excited about, especially on the venture side of the business, is the ability to leverage the cloud to create new gaming experiences that didn't exist before. And I still think that like that's, that's how cloud and local together. Right. Sure. Is that no, what you're talking about or no? no? I was talking about brand new game experiences that are not possible. Don't exist today yet. That That's right. Or, and we've started to see some hybrids between video um, and cloud-based gaming, which is why we're invested in GenVid, et cetera. So Sapna at the, um, this is uh, New York Times, she's got a story um, that new Netflix is ramping up its retail business with a new online store that launched today and has tons of partnerships with chains like Target, H&M, and Sephora. Read more about the streaming giant's e-commerce strategy from Josh Coblin and me. Um, and, you know, it, there's probably nothing shocking in this. They hired an executive who was um, at, from Nike, came over. I forget his name off the top of my head. I want to say it's Josh something. But he came over about a year ago to build on the merchandising strategy or, you know, mar- you know kind of mar- marketing into products, CP, uh, for Netflix. Obviously, when you're creating tons of content across uh, movies and TV series. I know you don't like the word TV series for streaming, Walt, but movies and TV series, um, it makes a lot of sense to create a merchandise business, yeah. not so much to make money, but to build the brand just the way well, Disney. I don't know. I mean, Rich, like, it, I think it goes beyond. It, it was like they always said, like Reed would say, oh, you know, our merchandise ambitions are just, you know, we think about it as promotion, but now it's going to become a real fucking business. Like, you you don't think that's going to be a a nice incremental profit line for, for Netflix. 
look, it's free incremental, whatever the margin is, even if, the, if it's a low margin business, it's still all incremental dollars above and beyond what they get out of the subscription business. But look, I was reading an article before this launch, I think it was like four or five days ago, I was reading an article how Bridgerton um, has had such a, you know, it's the biggest show ever on Netflix in terms of TV series. And they were talking about how the costumes is going to be the biggest set of costumes for Halloween this year. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was sort of what was being talked about. And I was just thinking like, well, if Bridgerton costumes are going to explode, it makes sense for Netflix to actually, you know, have a piece of this directly. And I have to believe that you'll see things like the Netflix store start to take advantage of that. Yeah. Incremental revenue, but man, the marketing element of this, uh, I think to me, in terms of adding new subscribers and just sort of building that brand. Well, it it all, I mean, like, again, like we talk about like the overused word flywheel, look at the Disney flywheel, right. And the role that consumer products pays in it. It's, it's self-reinforcing and it's, it's a, um, it's a profit center. That's it. So when's the the Netflix theme park getting opened up then? (laughs) Well, you know, and so that, but that's, it's, it's funny you say that, Walt, because in my head, it kept coming back to what's crazy is that Comcast didn't buy Warner Media, right? Because if you think about that, the theme parks with DC Comics, that was, and they have Harry Potter and they have Harry Potter, but like it's third party licensed and like they're doing Nintendo third party license. Like it just, there was so much logic to that transaction. It's still hard to believe that it's, Discovery and Warner, not you know NBC Universal and Warner. And but. look, Netflix is going to continue to add adjacent businesses. Um, I doubt they're adding a theme park business, though. No, they're not going to add a theme park business, <laughs> but we, maybe a virtual theme park business. Maybe there's yeah, a meta, that, maybe there's a metaverse that, business. No, Brandon. that 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 could be. I mean, just. Uh, it seems well, they don't like have to be Netflix the one that opens it. Someone, someone else can open it and they just license the content to make the rides. Sure. Just like Netflix. Or sorry, not Netflix. Just like Nintendo has licensed Nintendo World to Universal. Same concept. There could be Netflix World at one of these parks. It's just I think these companies are so scared of Netflix. It's hard to believe it'll be one of these big media companies because they're still so frightened of what Netflix is doing to them. But the you're point right, conceptually. Gonna- though is there it seems much more serious about the video game business um than we realized and uh yeah next five to ten years they will probably have a full-blown publishing unit there but i but i assume from from your standpoint the the reason why it surprises both of us is simply because this goes back to your genvid comment the worlds of video and gaming are colliding. And so it sort of seems longer term. How can you not be in the gaming business if gaming yeah, and no, entertainment I, are going to fuse? That's why it's not surprising, not why it is surprising, right. right? I think we talked about content formats and the end game isn't, you know, VOD, you know, as as we know it now, isn't the end game for video, right? There's going to be much more interactivity and to move with the times, Netflix, who is a very long-term thinking company always is going to is going to have to go that way. And I don't know what video games look like for them. I don't know if it's like a traditional AAA um, game or it's you know highly interactive content along the lines of of what what's Gen- a AAA game? What does that mean? AAA. Yeah, you know, that's your Call of Duties, your FIFA's, your big sort of console. So AAA uh, is like A, A++. Games. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Is that what it means? I, don't, like, I have no idea what AAA it, means. The highest it, it, end <laughs> games. Oh, okay. Right. 
made by a major publisher. I mean, it's it's sort of a. I, I don't think it's, that's it's not like baseball. It's not like it's not like baseball where AAA is less than. Yeah, the I mean, major league. I never heard of yeah. it before. We yeah. should have can said we, major leagues games. Can, can we go? To welcome Verizon? to the podcast listeners who also didn't know what the fuck AAA meant. <laughs> Walt, can we go to Mike Dano and Brendan? Clark? I don't know how many of those there are. <laughs> please, please send Brandon a text or an email saying no, no. I have enough text still coming in. Please don't. <laughs> uh, so the um, light reading, I was going to say fierce wireless because that's where he used to write for, but he is a, basically Mike wrote this story um, talking about Verizon's network and CBRS spectrum and CBRS. If you remember was something that like we were, we talked about this on the podcast before, like they insisted that they were only going to do it on small cells. And then at the end of the year, Kyle Malady was like, Oh no, we're also going to do it in macro, as we've said, which was like, no, you never said that. But now, so now in this story, they're saying, however, Verizon will only do CBRS in dense urban areas where CBS transmissions make sense. I just want to be on the record now. I'm not going to waste too much time. That they will, Verizon, I predict that they will, in fact, be doing CBRS not only in dense urban macro areas, but also in the suburbs and beyond that. And I think why? Why are you so confident? Um, because it's spectrum that can be used. I think part of this argument, they're, they're trying to make this argument, oh, we're not going to do it there because they want to get the FCC to increase how much power can be used to dial it up. And you see a, a response tweet here from Brendan Carr, um, who's an FCC commissioner, said, and if the FCC increased the power levels in CBRS, carriers could do even more with this spectrum, boosting coverage and capacity. He's right. But I would, you know, the point is like, even if the FCC didn't increase the power, which by the way, they hundred percent should it's in the public. And is it bipartisan? Is there bipartisan support for that statement? Well, I mean, you think commissioner Rosenworcel needs to move the ball forward on this. I don't, I don't, I just don't understand why, what the arguments, uh, I mean, I've seen the arguments. I don't agree with any of the arguments that have been against it. But the point is though, that, like, for, I think Verizon knows that the power is going to be increased, which will benefit them and also Dish, which is a large CBRS spectrum uh, owner, and the cable companies. Those people. So, guess who's against it? T-Mobile, who doesn't have CBRS spectrum. Surprise, surprise. Um, shocking, shocking, right? Um, so, but look, the the reality is. I think they're already putting CBRS spectrum in the suburbs. I have some of my Twitter followers sending me evidence that it's already going to the suburbs. So like classic Verizon talking their book. <laughs> I, I won't rehash how they're, they've talked their book about not needing uplink spectrum. We don't need to rehash that. But I think this was a very interesting thing to follow on from, from last week. Same one oh, thing uh, now, but let's just, let's just make a mark. Verizon will do CBRS in, in the suburbs, I believe. And we really need a we really need a flip flopper for Verizon. I think that should be the new flip flopper. They just they just talk their butt shift. And, they and shift. Someone has to stand here and and like whatever call them out for it from time to time. So we've got Variety saying Kevin Hart's Die Hard renewed for season two at Roku after the Quibi show shattered records. And um, you know, I don't really care about this specific show. I think what's most interesting is first of all, Roku clearly 
is pushing harder and harder into original programming. In fact, we got reports this week that they're actually beginning to do some A-B testing where they're actually putting Roku originals. If you know, when you open up your Roku and you see the channel store and you see new channels and like all the things, the TV store, the Roku channel, now they're putting on the left side, sidebar, they're now putting Roku originals as a defined category. And so they are clearly making yep. a push into original programming. Right now, it's all ad-supported. You know, it's clearly an AVOD service, and they're doing things that are relatively inexpensive. But, you know, we all know where this starts, and it just it, it just seems like more and more signs of Roku sort of looking for a unique way, especially with, you know, we had that conversation before about Google TV and how they're trying to integrate all their products. And, you know, while it's not having a big impact on Roku clearly today, you can see how Roku is trying to build and, you know, sort of build the walls around what they consider their turf, which is, you know, their TV ecosystem and to make it more unique versus their peers using original programming or exclusive original programming, sort of a well-worn strategy. Yep. And they're using the plethora of data that they have to make programming decisions around that. Right. They know the types of content that works. Right. They know pretty much everything. It's like, right, like they, they, they don't know what you watch everything. In, they don't know what you're watching in Netflix, but they know what you're watching in a lot of other applications. Sure. And if it's within the Roku app itself, they know what you're watching. And well, if you're watching linear TV on their TV, set, yeah, they know, they know linear, that, right? right? And yeah, that's a lot of hours. There's a pretty large data advantage being the platform in understanding preferences. And we talk about the data advantage that Netflix has, you know, from the content on their service, you know, Roku, Roku has a lot of those signals as well. Maybe that so, increases the value given what Apple is doing when you're in their environment, right? So that maybe for Roku and for Netflix and everyone else, just having this information, obviously Netflix doesn't monetize it that way, but you know, it's just going to increase the value, right? Cause it's going to be harder to get that type of information about end users. Absolutely. I mean, even oh. even on my Apple TV the other day, you know, the, the ATT popped up like, you know, about being tracked. I think it was on Hulu. Like so we're seeing this across, you know, all of Apple's platforms. So I, I don't disagree that the data is going to become a more and more of a weapon for Roku on an advertising standpoint, for sure. Yep. Um, let's so just move on, Apple. Brandon. So they should thank Apple. <laughs> well, I think what, well, actually, they should thank Apple for not launching a $30 stick, right? I mean, the reality is Apple if they wanted to, could blow Roku out of the water if they really wanted to use their marketing muscle and say everybody who buys an iPhone gets a $20 streaming stick. I've made that argument in the past, but then look, Project Fi, which is Google's phone service. Sometimes it's when big companies come with cheap things, people don't necessarily um, run to them anyway. I mean, Apple's base is a little bit more loyal and and fanboyish than, than like a Google or someone like that, but those people would have probably pay the idiotic whatever they're charging for the Apple TV anyway, two, three hundred dollars, like myself. Because <laughs> I like to stay in the ecosystem. Brandon, you want to read Claire's tweet? Sure. New from Pearlberg. Substack just made a major new hire as it goes after comic book writers and expands its fiction. Effort. You pause on Pearlberg. Did you just like the Pearl way it sounded? Or no, Stephen, 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 Stephen Pearlberg. Stephen's a writer. That's a good. That's a good handle for him to get. Just Pearlberg. I'm sure he was early there to early on to get that as a as a user of Twitter. <laughs> you couldn't even get Brandon Lightshed. 
that's because it's too many characters, <laughs> Rich. <laughs> we would have had to get Twitter to make an exception for us. If anyone from Twitter is actually listening, <laughs> can true. you please make the exception? Because I'm just Brando Lightshed now. Yeah, Although I now know. I've taken Brando on his handles. Um on new rising up change your name altogether yeah i'm just like at brando because i can never get at brandon i was like ah well i'm brando on this and you guys call me brando sometimes so there you go i'm surprised okay. that other people haven't grabbed at brando on some of these other apps that you're talking about i mean that's well that's that you've gotten that. you know now that you we're at brando which apps are you at brando no is this your fortnite screen name clubhouse oh jesus <laughs> racket <laughs> right. uh, we're invested in that <laughs> go ahead rich talk um, about Substack. i think rich I, was just sending tweets i'm not even kidding everyone check your twitter right yes. now was there a tweet it's, uh, it's approximately 10 45 a.m there there is no tweet for me i promise guys there's literally nothing well, i was, was just, just happening there uh, I, I, there are texts from the wife that I just had to respond to. Um, but when look, are you going to be done, Rich? Are you almost done your podcast? <laughs> yeah. Can you please keep you. it down? <laughs> you please. Just, You're so just, animated. I can't. No, sleep. she just. She uh, just doesn't understand why there. She doesn't understand the religion we have towards doing this podcast every Friday morning. Like she just doesn't understand why we have to do it every Friday, um, and definitely wants us to get an office so that we can do it from an office. Although I feel like I still want to do it from home. It's still easier to do it. Not no. This, this next is the everyone. Thing. Can you imagine if we go back into? I was thinking about this into a WeWork, and we're all in the same room, and we try and do the podcast in the no, same room, or any of these Zoom calls, and we're both we're both on Zoom next to each other. What no, if we're talking? It would be absolutely terrible. No. Um, so, but let, let's go back to Substack. So, Substack trying to make a push into comics, which to me is really interesting because there is this. I mean, obviously, I think Substack talked about there's now five hundred thousand paying subscribers across all of their platforms or all of their newsletters. They've got, I think the top 10 writers are making in collectively $15 million. So like over a million dollars a piece for the top people on Substack. But why comics is interesting is obviously, obviously if you think about the power of Marvel, the power of DC, sort of starting and sort of building your own comic book business, especially as sort of IP generation. And we assume that Substack is not just going to be comics. It's going to be audio. It's going to be video. It's going to be events. Like there's going to be a lot more to Substack. And so, you know, sort of comics lends itself so well to building other IP as we've seen throughout the media industry. This would be potentially a very big way for Substack to create content that goes well beyond um, writing, drawing, I guess I shouldn't say writing, but drawing and writing, um, just really interested Direct me. Direct to in consumer terms of, publishing period. Correct. Yes. Thank you, Brandon. Direct to consumer publishing. it out. Done. Um, we have our last two tweets of the week, which are just sort of, uh, the one, the first one just sort of made me laugh because this happened yesterday afternoon. I'd actually never seen this. This guy cannot help himself all. Well, we saw this. So th there was an SEC filing yesterday afternoon that a bunch of clients, investors hit me on saying Fubo TV um, says there weren't enough shareholders voting at its meeting today to form a quorum needed to proceed with the transaction of business. So they had to cancel their annual meeting and delay it till later in the summer. Now, I, I presume the, the reason why you couldn't get a quorum is that there's actually no institutional investors of Fubo anymore. And because it literally is all or sort limited, of, let's just say limited, limited, right? 
and you know this is sort of the challenge of when you move from an institutional shareholder base where you know you only need a few shareholders to get a quorum when you move to retail and you know i think amc we have the second tweet here is as of this is adam aaron the ceo as of june 2nd amc has a 500 million total outstanding shares the amc's number of shareholders is 4.1 million and that 80% of its uh, 80% of its shares are owned by retail with the average lot size of holding 120 shares. And so, you know, retail doesn't generally vote whenever their shareholder votes. Normally, it doesn't matter because retail is a pretty small percentage of the holdings of a company. But when you invert it and all of your shareholdings become retail, it actually becomes very hard to do business. And Again, for Fubo, it doesn't really matter. They'll delay, and I'm sure they'll eventually get their meeting. But for for AMC, this is actually a really important point because AMC cannot issue any more shares. So the only way they can issue more shares in order to keep reducing debt and improving their financial situation, they need authorization to issue more shares, but they need the retail shareholder base to approve it. And it's been interesting to watch some of the tweets and Reddit forums that are talking about this. And all of these Redditors don't want to be diluted. And they're trying to rally to prevent dilution from from the company. And so it's going to be fascinating to I watch. Challenge, I challenge that argument we'll 100%. They don't give a shit about dilution. They don't know about dilution. I, yeah. I, I, you're, you're I, I, I call bullshit on credit. that. Sorry. Oh, bullshit. I know. Rich and I were talking about this this morning. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, fuck they that. Have there's no there's, idea. Just, you can't. You're making a conclusion based on the 50 bots that are tweeting back at Adam Aaron. Like, come on. No, they, they don't know about dilution. They just don't. By the way, so I don't know. There was probably some they're buzz apes, about Rich. They're apes. Yeah, Self-proclaimed. They're apes. And he's the you should refer to him by his real name, King of the Apes, not CEO Adam Aaron. So here's the thing, though. <laughs> Last title. weekend, some movie came on and people were tweeting at me because I'm associated with you about like how people are going back to the movies. In my view, because I, I do know content, Rich, just, just to reemphasize to our podcast listeners. Because you've watched Loki already? Have you watched Loki I'm already? I'm just saying Loki was a much bigger media event this week than any movie that was released in the past week or two. True or false? I think Loki, which is already number one on Disney+, Plus, uh, or at least episode one, uh, Which is means what? One. Do we have numbers on that? Like number of viewers of Loki relative to the, some number of people that walked into a movie theater. Uh, oddly, Disney has never released any numbers for viewership at all. Oh, okay. Unlike Netflix, which I, I know the metric sucks and we all make fun of the two minutes, you know, viewership, but, but at least there's a starting point. Um, Disney has not given any numbers yet. The bottom, so, I, so I am going to withhold my judgment on Loki. Um, Why? Just because the first that episode. Because I've only seen one episode. That's right. First episode. And plus first episode on, on a lot of these Marvel things are just hard to gauge. Um, but I will say this. The quality of the content, like it is, because first of all, they had to integrate um, content from the movies, but like when it went back to the television show version of this, this is not like kind of the sitcom thing of, of WandaVision. It was the more traditional Marvel grandia. It is movie quality production. Like there's well, they're, no, they're, they're, first of all, they're spending, I think, over $20 million an episode. So it right, better be movie quality. On, on, in terms of like what we have available in terms of content. And my, my kids were just <laughs> marveling about this, pun intended, about the, the 
just the quality of content that you can get, obviously. And, and they're like, why is this happening? I'm like, well, the dollars that are flooding into people wanting to show sub numbers. Um, but like you see that, like in the sh- it's ridiculous yeah. how good the quality was of, of the of the of the production value. I'm not gonna Can I ask you a personal question though? I need to ask you a personal question though, because you you felt very strongly about WandaVision being week to week so that you could sort of pick apart the Easter eggs and learn think about what the show would Loki have benefited from you being able to watch two and three already? For um for you. That that is a great point. Um I, I think that Disney Plus has now pulled people into their ecosystem that they are getting um they're getting a lot of what's I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for um a lot of trust by their their, their users that I don't think you need two or three I think people are just now going to like whenever Disney puts out new content content related to Marvel or Star Wars that you know they can just start with one episode at a time and and pull people in and stretch it out. I personally prefer Fridays. I don't like the Wednesday release schedule, but maybe they're just why fine. you can watch it on Friday though. Well, Wait, why, um, why is what's, what's wrong with Wednesdays? Like you can watch it any day you want. Well, you can, Brandon, but I think if if buzz is created by these things, oh, that's the whole okay. point yeah, of yeah, episodic, yeah. right? So if you're trying to watch it with your you kids and like people don't want to be you know there's and people are so fucking bad on twitter in terms of spoilers <laughs> that that's it's irritating um i don't know for me personally friday fridays like stick with your fridays you like mute I, I, some keywords what do you mean you do yeah exactly i'm not going to go and do that but look it, it rich actually the i was thinking about this last night because i was watching the friends reunion which made me kind of sad because basically i'm that same age so that it was kind of sad to see <laughs> see them get old but it was a it was a good episode um even Thursday, though it wasn't an episode. Thursday nights, NBCs, Seinfeld, Friends, whatever it is, like Disney, like just create a fucking release schedule on Friday nights and be the new Thursday night must-see TV. I think That's Disney's fine. doing everything Wednesdays now. Like they have fully converted to Wednesdays. Oh, they're shifting to Wednesdays? Fully to Wednesdays so, because Netflix is Wednesdays? taking Fridays. And I don't know Wednesdays. why. I don't know who's Thursdays. I don't know who has Thursdays. No one's Thursdays. But what happened, NBC? You had Thursday. Obviously, HBO is Sundays. I don't know. Now they have no new sitcoms. What is going no on in Comcast? They didn't buy Warner. They don't. They gave up Thursday night. What the hell? They is gave going up. On? They gave up Bond. Jesus. What? Is, anything, is anyone mining the ship over there at, at Comcast? Are you going to do something? Let's go. By the way, do we have any word? I think <laughs> you're. I think you're getting the hook, Walt. As the music oh, is louder. <laughs> Does Joe have Sorry, that was for, for our we podcast listeners. We that was New Orleans in, even though there was a reason for if, it. If that wasn't obvious, that was a that was a complete troll of all of our Comcast listeners and to Rich. But so I'm not. I don't think that badly. Anyway, New Orleans out for the weekend. Doctor John, have a great weekend. See you next week, everybody. <laughs>